You're listening to the Pullbox Podcast, the international graphic novel book club. Here are your hosts, Curtis Finley and Michael Cohen. Hello and welcome back to the Pullbox Podcast. This is our fifth episode. I am one of your hosts, Michael Cohen. And I am your other host, Curtis Findlay. And uh, we've got we got three books to talk about this month. We've got Sex Criminals by Matt Fraction uh, and Chip Zdarsky. Uh, I hope that, that that's correct pronunciation. Sounds good enough to me. Uh, Terry and the Pirates by Milton Kniff. And uh, The Winter Soldier by Ed Brubaker. Uh, oh, the names aren't all on the cover. Well, Steve Epting's the main guy, and then there's a, a couple other villains and that kind of stuff. But. Yeah. I... Uh, Cool. So, uh, do we have any any news that we want to talk about before we jump into to, to the books? Well, I don't know anything from the la- from from last month's books. Did did we do any follow up? I'm well, trying to remember what were last month's. <laughs> last month we talked about Archie, yeah. and um, well, another volume hasn't come out. Although they've they've now announced that there's going to be a Sabrina um, comic book yeah. that's kind of going along the same dark lines. Mm-hmm. It's not in the same universe as the Archie zombie. Oh, okay. Um, but it's, it's her dealing with black magic and, and, um, it looks like it's going to be kind of that same feel. Cool. And, um, and also they've announced that they're going to relaunch their superhero line that they used to have that Archie comics had a, a long time ago. Um, except they're going to try their hardest to compete with Marvel and DC rather than, <laughs> make it an archie book so uh we'll see how that goes um i think that it's great that they're branching out and doing a lot of different mm-hmm. things um not i think just... i think the the industry uh it was big at one point in time it was huge at one point in time uh and then in the 90s it kind of oversaturated yeah it just kind of got to got to the the bubble bursting point and since then uh it, it's felt like the comics industry even with all the movies and everything has been kind of hurting up until but, up until really like the Iron Man and, and Marvel's sort of uh, Marvel Studios bringing all of these comics to the forefront. Now all of a sudden, comic books are okay. Like it's cool to read some comic books, right? Right, so. and the industry is bigger than it's ever been. Yeah. With with uh, but it's the variety now that we get with yeah. um, the different publishers and bringing overseas work, and of course Japanese manga is huge. And, yeah. Um, it, it's it's huge. There's it's just such a big cool. big market now. Well, I, I I think that there's room for Archie to do some cool stuff. Definitely. Um, they've they've got a history of doing interesting things, and you know they've been off my radar for quite a while. But with Afterlife uh, with Archie, I'm I'm interested in what they're up to next, what their next move is, mm-hmm. because because it's it's got it's piqued my interest for sure. And I'm excited to uh, to read more of that as it comes out. And that Sabrina book sounds interesting too. Yeah. So the other <clears> one <throat> that we read is uh, Xenozoic. Yes. And there's not really more to read to that, so <laughs> there's no, no follow up there. And then Batman. No. I haven't read any more Batman. So. Um, I've I've had a lot of conversations with a lot of people about Batman over the last month because a lot of my friends uh, saw Facebook posts and whatever about the that we were reading uh, uh, Court of Owls. And we're like, oh, so how, what did you think about it? Because everybody knows I'm very vocal about how much I dislike New 52. So they didn't listen to the podcast? Uh, no, oh, didn't listen on, to guys. the podcast. Um, but, I, yeah, a lot of conversations about it. Um, 
and uh, and it seems like everybody's kind of in the same same boat that I am, where they're like, yeah, the new Fifty Two is just full of horrible books, but that that Batman's good because there they are, didn't yeah. New Fifty Two didn't alter it; it didn't change yeah. anything. There are a few that stand out. Yeah. You know, I did read another 50, New Fifty Two book this month. It was okay. the first volume of Animal Man. Yeah, and I didn't really like it. It wasn't okay. my thing. I uh, I just found. Um, Maybe it's because I don't know Animal Man. It just got quite bizarre, and it wasn't um, it wasn't my style of, of yeah. thing. So yeah, and yeah, I wasn't well, a fan of the artwork either. It's definitely a, a on the darker side of of the DC universe. Like he's sort of, I think he might even be part of Justice League Dark. I can't remember, but I know that he's he's one of those characters. He's it ties in with Swamp Thing that that storyline, right? Um, and uh, as well as um, Frankenstein and Agents of Shade. Uh, which oh, is yeah. like there, like where Frankenstein, the Wolfman, and, and yeah. uh, a Bat thing character, and a bunch of other characters, the Mummy and stuff. Like they they fight demons in the underworld and that sort of thing. But, Sounds like um, Hellboy. It is a little bit. I uh, but I uh, so Animal Man having previously been, I think, a much more superhero-y book with the new Fifty Two relaunch, they took him in a. In yeah, a darker direction. they really did, and he barely spent any time as Animal Man, and really didn't yep. do a whole lot of Animal Man stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't use his powers or whatever. It, it was uh, it was different, um, and I really like Jeff Lemire. I love. I've read some of his other stuff, um, but this one just didn't catch me. So, I don't mm. know. well, it's one of my favorites. So we're we're a mixed bag on that. Yeah, one, but uh, we'll have to discuss it in yeah. a greater detail in another episode. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> Cool. Well, uh, let's jump into uh, to our first book. My pick for this month was uh, Sex Criminals, Volume One. Uh, one weird trick. I uh, love that <laughs> that title. There's yeah. so many um, great puns throughout this book, sex related puns that yeah. uh, that, are, yeah. that stand out. It's, really um, it's a bit. It's a bit. It's, it definitely puts the graphic in graphic novel. <laughs> yeah. uh, so if you are planning to listen to this episode with kids in the room. You might want to skip ahead a good probably twenty minutes as we talk about this book because we'll, we'll post be... uh, we'll post the times sure. when each of the books start on the website. Yeah, um, because it's it's unavoidable. There will be some some somewhat mature content. I mean, we don't need to get too nitty gritty with it, but it's kind of the whole point of the book. <laughs> yeah. So so you've been warned. Uh, if that's the case, skip it, ahead now. And it was an interesting conversation that we had last month um, off camera or off mic when you were saying, should we read this book? Uh, yeah. I, I really want to. And I said, I really want to. But is that an area we want to get into? And yeah. we're like, well, last month we talked about Archie beating his own father to a bloody pulp, his undead yeah. father. Um we're not afraid of the violent side, yeah. uh, but why are we? Why would we shy away from this too? So we're particularly because the, this book handles it in such a mature way. So, yeah. So now let, let's get let's get right into it. We'll talk about what the book is about. Hopefully, everybody's read it. If not, um, it's basically uh, we we start our uh, our story with with our heroine. Um, I'm trying to remember the characters' names. I uh, Suzanne, I guess. Yeah, yeah. yeah Su- um, Susie. And uh, basically, she discovers that that she has the ability to freeze time when she has an orgasm. Yeah. <laughs> um, and uh, and we kind of start the book sort of going through her her adolescent uh, discovery, of age. Yeah, yeah, discovery of sex and everything uh, that comes along with that, and uh, and and this incredible 
superpower, basically, that she has. Um, that she doesn't even realize is a superpower. Yeah. She just thinks that's the thing that happens yeah. when it when you have an orgasm. Um, and uh, and and she ends up meeting up with with this other guy, uh, John, who uh, who also has this ability. She, they find each other and uh, by chance or by fate. Yeah, well, well I think that's sort of a, a question that that volume two will hopefully answer. Right? Yeah. Um, but uh, they they uh, they cook up a, a plot to rob the bank that he works at in order to save the library that she works at. Yeah. Uh, because the bank that bank is foreclosing on it, so it's this kind of cool. Um, there's there's like it, sex criminals, right? Like everything you need to know, I think, <laughs> is in the, the title. title. Um, yeah. I love Matt Fraction. He's one of my favorite writers. Uh, he he did an awesome turn on Iron Man. Um, he's he's doing some cool stuff for has been doing some cool stuff with hawkeye um really recently and uh, and he's got a couple of his own books that that are just incredible books so i uh, if you don't know matt fraction i suggest looking up and especially if you enjoyed this looking up some of his other work because right. he's yeah. a he's a really solid writer i think like uh for consistency kind of like brian k Vaughn, where it's like Mm-hmm. You know, you see that name on a title, and you know it's going to be good. Well, and that's funny you should mention that. I only know Matt Fraction by name um, okay. because of Hawkeye and whatever. But so this is the first time reading his work, um, and the consistency is actually something that I is one of the things that I didn't like about okay. this, and mainly his uh, his narrative structure. Because um, at the beginning, uh, right off the bat, you have a grown up Susie. Who is, um, who's narrating her childhood, and so you yeah. see her in a series of flashbacks. But she's totally breaking the fourth wall. In fact, she's drawn into all of these panels, um, like standing beside the younger version of herself. Yeah, which is a great way to to do that. I the only I tried to think of some film um, examples, and the only one I could come up with was Malcolm in the Middle. <laughs> okay, <laughs> how yeah. you know how he turns yeah. to the camera and says. Come on, guys! Um, I can't believe what they're thinking, or you know, something like that, yeah, right? He, he saved by the bell, did it as well? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's that type of storytelling, and yeah. it, it works so well. And one of the things that's great about this is it's so cinematic in its storytelling. Yeah, um, he really lays it out as if we were watching a movie. It's more movieish than comic bookyish, I think. Yeah. Um, but there's one point in the story where her flashbacks catch up to where she currently is and she she's talking mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden she gets a text from Jonathan and it interrupts her her train of thought and you don't get that at, at all for the rest of the story so mm-hmm. all of a sudden it completely loses yeah. that that style of narration that I loved at the beginning so yeah. the last half of it totally doesn't have it um, and, and so and with that a lot of the humor came from that narration came from the interaction between the two the two Susies um, interacting well one oblivious that the other one existed but then yeah. the older one interacting like with the younger one and stuff yeah um, and that humor is lost in the second half of the book as well yeah because of it so I thought there was a little bit of inconsistency there um, but overall I loved this concept I think it's um, I think it's really great um, and and what a what a weird book yeah <laughs> it's so strange. yeah well it, it doesn't um it, it didn't pull any punches which i which i enjoyed 
Um, in fact, there's like I said, it it puts the graphic in graphic novel, and there's there's nudity, and I, I, I mean, there's nudity in a lot of comics, but nudity in comics is generally, uh, it's generally naked women, right? Like like that's that that wouldn't really phase me too much, but we also have a naked guy. In fact, in we see one. more of the naked guy than we yeah. do of the naked girl, which is yeah. an interesting change as well. Yeah, so I, I, I find that interesting because it really does, um, it sort of puts a lot of, of the way that comics uh, definitely like fetishize women, mm-hmm. uh, sort of turns it on its head a little bit because she's a very strong, empowered female and uh, it's 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 kind of the antithesis of what we're used to seeing in comics right yeah. we're used to seeing although we see a lot of strong female characters in in comics these days uh they are often wearing you know spandex outfits and and put in very uh interesting poses by the artist but <laughs> well, the whole Sp- spider woman yeah. uh, controversy that's happening yeah right now. exactly but uh but the artist chip zadarsky he uh it's it's a it's a very even though it's very cartoony like it has a very animated style to it mm-hmm. almost almost a two D like Pixar sort of sort of style to it. Um, it's very realistic at the same time. There's yeah. not like they don't have fantastical proportions. Right. They're not uh, you know uh, elite physical specimens for us to to ogle while we read the comic. They're they're regular people, and I think that that lends itself to as you were saying with the writing. Uh, that very cinematic quality to it um mm-hmm. where where it feels like this i could very easily see this being a movie like or or mm-hmm. an hbo tv series or something like that as yeah. it, as it sort of goes on and, and it gains a following but whereas um you know for instance game of thrones throws yeah. in their nudity for the sake of nudity yeah. and has their drawn out love sequences and all this kind of stuff this one even though it's about sex doesn't have those long drawn out sequences yeah it's um that's it's almost like it's the real the important part is that they get to the orgasm and that yeah. and it happens it's, it's not it, about the it's almost making it's almost like in power rangers right how the first time they ever combine the zords it's that really long right. sequence of like it's you, we got we gotta see all the zords transform and then we gotta see all the zords come together and then the megazord has to do a little dance yeah, yeah. and then it can fight but then you get into like season two and three, and it's like let's it's more do it. time, and, and they all do say it at the same time, and boom, there is the Megazord. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's they don't even get into the regular Zords and fighting the regular Zords. Yeah. They're just in the Megazord already fighting, right? Like by the end of the book, anytime that that they need to use their powers, it's like it's almost a cutaway sort of thing of like we see them go into a bathroom, and then mm-hmm. the next panel has the cool uh, uh, time stopping effects. So that we know that the powers are being used, um, it's uh, it's it's nice because I think that yeah, it would get it would get very uh, sensationalized if you just kept going back to that well. Yeah. But the way that it's handled, like I said at at the outset, is very mature, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's the that's the whole thing. It's not, although there's a lot of humor in it, although there's a lot of comedy elements um, to the storytelling, it's not it's not played for jokes and it's not it's also not titillating so it's right. kind of it 
it hits this really good middle ground like like a lot of good hbo shows tend to yeah but i would i would exclude game of thrones from that <laughs> list though because i do think that game of thrones a lot of the time uh it's it's in there for for sort of the titillation and the shock for factor sure. right yeah um, so it it's what this book does in that sense is keeps keeps the um i guess the i don't know if you want to call it the magic or the the uh um the importance of sex it doesn't um it doesn't make it something cheap yeah by drawing out these sequences or or are totally ignoring it or saying that they just do it to get to the to the point or whatever um but at the same time they don't over sensual over sensational sensationalize it sorry um so yeah it, it it keeps the uh it keeps it i don't know if you want to call it sacred or whatever mm-hmm. this the, the act of, so yeah i think also you really get the sense of loneliness from these two characters yeah. because um even if you're having an intimate relationship with somebody um they after sex enter this um this this zone this mm-hmm. whatever where time stops and they're the only thing there yeah um how lonely is that and they and especially with the girl telling her story she hops from one person to the next to try and find companionship but she's always left um alone because no one no one shares that special power that she has yeah i think that's really an interesting kind of commentary as well on just kind of general relationships with people um you know it's hard to find that companionship where you where you can be intimate with somebody and and not be still lonely that kind of thing mm. yeah yeah it's uh there there's really interesting themes going on throughout it there's that element and then there's also i uh, our other protagonist i uh, he had he's adhd i think is what it what it boiled down to but then he's got this uh, oppositional defiance disorder I think right. was, was yeah. what it was where he just like he, he j- when he gets mad he just acts out right yeah. does does ridiculous things um, that sort of thing uh, and uh, and it, it really he's played up at the beginning of the story as sort of being a knight in shining armor and yeah. having all yeah, of these great qualities and, yeah. yeah and like oh he knows all about these great movies like it's um it's almost uh, the reverse. I, I I I shudder to use this term because the uh, the the person who coined the term hates it himself. But uh, the the manic pixie dream girl, right? That that whole archetype from movies like uh, Garden State and, and right. all that. Um, he's almost the dude version of that. Like where like yeah. he's 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 definitely handsome, but he's just a little bit like left of handsome right like he's got a big nose and glasses yeah so like it's kind of it's pointing out that like oh oh he's he's good looking but he's not like he's not too good looking that you know he's a jerk right, <laughs> right. um and then he's he's got the knowledge of all these different quirky movies and and uh and he's an actor or at least wants to be or whatever right so like he's kind of got all these elements that that he's kind of that dream guy sort of thing that that mm-hmm. the thing that you would expect to see in sort of an indie romantic comedy um but then we find out that actually no he's he's kind of messed up and uh and and pulls her into this world um that that, that he sort of has been 
a, a deviant in all on his own his entire life and and it's cool because by the time that that's revealed about I guess like two thirds of the way through the book if you go back and you think about the things that he did at the beginning of the book it, it colors it and it puts it in a whole new light which really puts you in her shoes of realizing this about him but then she still goes along with it anyways which, right. which is the the interesting thing about her character and and uh, one of the reasons why it kind of it ends on a cliffhanger. Yep. Um, so I'm interested to see volume one's right there on the on the cover. So when volume two comes out, I'm going to be interested to see where they're going with the story. Because the other thing we haven't talked about is that it's not just the two of them. Right. Right. There's a uh, the there's, sex police. <laughs> yeah. There's this whole other other element to it, which is just you know when you when you start the book. I, you're not expecting no, it. No, it came right out of left field. That's yeah, sure. and and you you end up discovering. Uh, you re- open the book and you start reading it, and you're like, oh, cool! Not a superhero book. Yeah, nice for a change, right? right? Like not an adventure, not like just just this really cool character, like almost rom com, right? Uh, and then you get to that point about halfway through the book where you find it like, oh no, oh, this yeah. is a superhero <laughs> book. It's just a really weird superhero book. Yeah. So. Uh, I mean, they end up fighting uh, a guy in a gimp suit and uh, yeah. and a, and a dude with, I think like he's got like a, like, I'm trying to write. Oh, he he had like like dildos in his hands. That yeah, he was, like throwing or whatever. Um, <laughs> it's so funny. It's it's oh, yeah, this guy. yeah. It's so quirky and weird, but like fascinating and and it it it's a it's a very actualized world. I, I think that that it's. Um, there's a lot of thought put into it because that's how Fraction does things. Uh, if, for those who have read his other other work, uh, the, what he's laying the groundwork for now will bear fruit later, and mm-hmm. that that excites me. Like that 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 really makes me happy. So I I enjoyed the book a lot, and yeah. I highly recommend it to everybody, especially if you like Matt Fraction. So the other thing that I wanted to mention is uh, well, there's two other things I want to mention. One's art related, but I'll get to this one that one after. Um, the the time that they spend in the quiet, which mm-hmm. is what uh, Suzanne calls it, or come world, which is what uh, John calls it, um, which is totally their personalities. It's great, yeah. but um, that's where they can really be themselves, mm-hmm. right? This is um, that's where uh, Susanna gets out all of her aggression against her mom. Yeah. Um, she can she can let it all out uh, without any repercussions. Um, she's got a she's got kind of a bad relationship with her mom, and then and like you said, um, John acts out his yeah. whole childhood. That's how he gets it out of his system, is by being in this uh, zone where where time doesn't move, so he can do whatever he wants, and no one's going to stop him. So he doesn't have to do that uh, kind of in real time. Yeah. And then the same with the sex police. We find out we don't know about those other two guys, but the main woman who's leading them is a mom with a secretary job, um, just kind of a, a normal normal life. Or I don't know, she's a nine one one responder or something. Maybe? Yeah, I think she she was like the the like front desk or whatever the or the like you said nine one one call responder yeah. person. So she's she's got a job, but then she enters. She figures out a way how to to control it. Yeah. By orgasms on demand yeah. <laughs> um, and then but she enters into the world and then she becomes what she wants to be which is more of an authoritarian kind of figure yeah um, 
so we'll, it's going to be neat to see how their personalities all um, develop and come up um, in, in volume two. Yeah. Because yeah, it's, it's nice that we have two strong lead characters who are, who are flawed in different ways. Yeah. Um, but not flawed like Batman is flawed, where <laughs> he's an orphan and he's getting his revenge on justice or whatever. I don't know. Not his revenge on justice. That's, <laughs> that's the opposite. But, uh, you know, that kind of thing. It's um, yeah. real people with real problems. Yeah. Real disorders. Um, and we get to walk alongside the, this journey. So that's kind of neat. Yeah. Um, the artwork. Yeah, I wanted to mention this as well. I thought this was... This guy is, is, is a great artist. And he has such a good eye for detail. And um, I love his backgrounds. And the colorist gets some props as well. Because he does a really good job. I think actually Chip... I, he the, does the colors the, himself. Yeah. And so, at the back of the book, he shows his process of, of how he gets to uh oh yeah to yeah. for doing the quiet um he he's just fantastic and yeah. um i'd be interested to see what other stuff he does um and he sticks to a very rigid 16 square setup um like layout mm. and he he combines his panels but he doesn't deviate from that you don't see circles or um panels that that go up diagonal or whatever he sticks directly to his 16 panel layouts the whole time um and it determines the flow of the page the smaller mm. ones the smaller panels move faster the more things happen and then when he wants us to uh take our time he combines his panels to make them larger and um and play out those bigger more important moments so i thought it, it's really really good thinking on that part he he's got a great sense of storytelling he takes um matt fraction's script and and really improves on it uh and does does a really good job mm -hmm. there i like that a lot yeah it's a really good team uh they they, they complement each other i think so uh yeah cool well i think that's that's about everything for sex criminals yeah i like i said i i loved it so i uh, so highly recommended um our second book why don't you uh why don't you introduce that one sure this is a book called Terry and the Pirates. Actually, it was a comic strip mm -hmm. back in the 30s and 40s. And uh, it's it's kind of known as one of the the best action-adventure comic strips in, in history. It, yeah. It's influenced a ton of people. Um, <laughs> we'll talk about that. <laughs> yeah, we'll get to that for sure. And um, it started in 1934. So this is going back many, many decades yeah. um, to when comic books didn't exist the people um when you wanted to to get your fix in comics you went to the newspaper yeah. and back then newspapers devoted their entire page to one comic strip mm -hmm. full color uh whereas today they try and cram you know 24 sunday comics <laughs> onto one page it's just yeah. ridiculous but back back in this day um which meant that the panels were larger so you could get some really beautiful artwork in yeah. there and uh so what we have here is i i wanted you to read um the first volume of the terry and the pirates uh reprint series that was published by the library of american comics and idw a few mm. years back um they published the entire run in six volumes and uh so i wanted um i didn't say this in the last episode but i just got you to read uh, kind of the first portion because it's quite a thick book oh, it, it's very thick. <laughs> it covers two and a half years of this of the strip yeah. the first two and a half years 
and the first hundred pages or so are just Sundays because at the time um, the Sundays and the dailies ran different stories because not everybody subscribed to the weekday they only got the Sunday paper Um, so the Sundays had their own continuity and then after a while when they realized that um, people were really digging Terry and the Pirates they they combined the the dailies and Sundays so the story continued um, on from there uh, so this, the story is about uh, this young boy named Terry Lee, mm-hmm. and he and his, they don't really say what the relationship is between <laughs> these two characters, yeah. but um, uh, this older guy named Pat Ryan, um, and I think it's kind of like a, like a Bruce Wayne, Dick Grayson kind of setup where yeah. Terry's kind of the ward. Yeah. Um, they're in China, and this is uh, pre-World War II China, uh, and they're kind of in an um, living just they're just going for adventures basically they just go there to to... whether they want to or not (laughs) yeah and then they just get taken along for rides because they meet up with pirates and we're not talking swashbuckling type pirates we're just talking a band of of well bandits that sail the seas they're chinese river pirates exactly and um and they meet the dangerous dragon lady who Mm -hmm. who kind of commands the chinese pirates and um and yeah, they just kind of find themselves in one situation after another, which yeah. is part and parcel with these kind of action adventure comic strips. They just kind of go from one ridiculous story to the next. Um, but uh, yeah, it's I, I love it. I am a big fan of comic strips from this era, so I like mm-hmm. reading these a lot. Dick Tracy, I love, and um, and this one's one of the best out there. And this first volume um, is. It starts out. It's still good, but it gets better in, okay. the, in the subsequent volumes. I mean, he just he he finds his his footing, his storytelling, and, and his distinct style comes yeah. out come out more in the second and third volume. All right, cool. Well, full, full disclosure: I did not finish the uh, the the prescribed reading. Yeah, um, because this is a very very thick book, um, and even just the portion that you uh, that you you suggested that I get through. Um, was was a lot to get through because these are uh, like they're 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 pretty decent sized pages. There's mm-hmm. a lot of words. <laughs> yep, they're yep. very uh, it's very dense stuff. Like you said, the, these would be uh, uh, the Sundays, which is the the section that I was trying to get through. Uh, it would be one one per week, so that right. had to be enough to get you through. The exactly. Week, right? So they're the typical. Yeah. What is it? Sixteen panels, I think. Um, and yeah, you if you want to get enough story, what is this? One, two, three, four. It's twelve panels, and they they do they load it up with content yeah. because that's the only page you're getting yeah. at a time. Um, and what a different experience it is now to read all of them all at once, like yeah. in a row. So that was I think that was probably uh, my biggest takeaway from this is that because uh, I love it too. Like I. I just because I didn't manage to get through it doesn't mean that I wasn't enjoying it. Yeah. But it is definitely a, uh, it's it's the at least the portions that I was reading, they read very much as like you just kind of read this one page mm-hmm. and then and then you're good for a little bit and then yeah. you can read another page and so I would read like four maybe five pages at a time yeah. and then put it down because it would take you a little bit to get through those. It's not like. For instance, in the time that I've been reading this, I, I finished a, a He-Man and the Masters of the Universe graphic novel, just reading it 
10 right. minutes before bed right yeah and uh, and i and i read two star wars darth maul comics today <laughs> like uh, in the lead in, they were like they were like 10 minutes a piece for a 24 yeah. page issue because you, right? you get maybe four panels per page yeah and the yeah dialogue and is sparse yeah yeah so it's uh just to kind of uh, contrast the two things uh, the the storytelling uh, today is much more fast paced it's much quicker to get through yeah. i think it's i think it is more refined i think that that comic artists uh at least the good ones and i mean there there are good artists and bad artists and good writers and bad writers but when you get a good team that works well together um that they're working off of the the initial sort of foundational work of our artists like uh, milton kniff so i uh, it, it is it's rudimentary just like when you go back and you watch films from that era yeah um it, in king kong for instance yeah, yeah yeah or or i mean i i citizen kane is always talked about as being the 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 greatest film of all time and if you watched it today it's actually it's very slowly paced it's kind of boring there's not really a there's a through line but the plot kind of meanders and it's it's it really it watches more like a novel than it does like a movie mm-hmm. and that's because at that point in time that's just the like movies yeah. were different right it was yeah. a it was a different era so this this is an interesting look back into that era mm-hmm. um yeah and, you have to kind of storytelling work yeah yeah you have to get your mind back thinking yeah if you can thinking okay i am somebody in 1934 reading this not yeah. someone now reading this i need to read this with yeah. that in mind because context is so important yeah. <laughs> oh incredibly important so let's talk about that yeah <laughs> um in order to get into that i'll start with with one thing uh, it's very clear that george lucas was inspired twice by terry and the pirates <laughs> uh the first point that i noticed was that the relationship between Pat and Terry yeah. is very much Indiana Jones and Short Round. Yes. Uh, it, 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 in fact, Temple of Doom, I, I'm going to watch it in the next couple of days just uh, to sort of put it in the context of having read this. Yeah. Temple of Doom seems like it's not part of the Indiana Jones movies because I don't think it is. Like right. it, it is very much Terry and the Pirates. Like mm-hmm. you, it's, it's in India, it's not in China, but... Um, and it deals with slightly different stuff and obviously it brings in the occult stuff which I don't know if this gets into that later but is not really, this is a yeah. little bit more like just your standard pulp right yeah. without the without the horror or the uh, the fantasy elements but that relationship between those two characters is identical to the relationship between yeah. Indy and Short Round and even the there's the one uh, sort of uh, short storyline about the uh, the the woman who's going to meet her father who runs the mine or whatever, and then they end up getting kidnapped and yeah. taken to another kind. Of, and then you don't even find out what happens to that character. But in those, I think two or three strips uh, that that she's heavily featured in, it's the dynamic is almost exactly the same, mm-hmm. and you can see that like this is this is exactly where George Lucas was pulling it from. And I wanted to bring up, because um, I know you haven't read through all of this, I wanted to yeah. show you a very specific strip. It's on page 340. Yeah, okay. there are that many pages in this book. <laughs> yeah, it's a big book. Um, check out this one Sunday comic strip featuring uh, Pat Ryan against a, uh, one, a, a, a bandit with a big knife 
and he takes out a bullwhip, and like this guy's just slicing into the air like crazy, and then he takes out a bullwhip and just you know takes him down, just like yeah. Indiana Jones. Just like it's Andy. like it's totally you can see you yeah. can see the influence there. Yeah. So I I do think like I at first I was like oh cool clearly George Lucas read some of these comics as a kid right yeah. like that's this is clearly one of he talks about Flash Gordon he talks about pulp comics he talks about all that sort of thing whenever you hear him talking about making Star Wars and Indiana Jones I the thing that really clinched it for me is as you get more and more uh, familiar with the character of Connie who yeah. is there and the, the, we're going to segue into the, uh, the 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 context conversation yeah. from this. Um, he's their uh, Chinese sidekick, lackey. Yeah, they kinda. they call him a servant. Yeah, yeah. they hire him. Um, they hire him to be a translator. Yeah. Um, and also to just get them things that they need, transportation or whatever. They secure mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. And yeah, he he's definitely a product of the time. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and he is. I, I, if you put floppy ears and a duck bill on him, the guy is Jar Jar Binks. Like he, yeah. his, his mannerism and speech. Now I get it, right? Like it, it. I didn't have, I didn't have that context for the character of Jar Jar Binks. I, I just thought that it was a silly character that George Lucas had created. Well, and I remember when when Phantom Menace first came out, yeah. there was controversy around. Jar Jar being a yeah. racist caricature, yeah, yeah, and because he's Rastafarian. Now, I will say, like, it, to, I'm not, I'm not uh, trying to point out that George Lucas did anything racist with the character right. of Jar Jar Binks. The character of Jar Jar Binks is played by Ahmed Best, who is from the. I, I, I don't know what you refer to that region as, but like, the, he's from the South Jamaica Atlantic, like Jamaica, and like in that in that area. The Caribbean, I guess, right? Yep. Like that that sort of area. Um, so the voice and the... and It's authentic. And yeah, yeah, like it's, it's coming from that actor. So yeah. I don't think that you can put him up and go like, oh, this is totally racist. But right. I do think I do think that George Lucas was pulling from this as, as an inspiration. Yeah. If he's not, it's a really incredible coincidence yeah. that, that there are three characters essentially... That that are dead ringers for characters in his storytelling. Yeah, um, and and you know, like I, like I was saying, I, I thought that Jar Jar was a character of George Lucas's creation, and now I realize he's not. He is <laughs> just like every other archetype that he's pulled. This is a character from other work, right? Yeah. And, I, and I'm sure that there are other examples to pull from, but but sort of the goofiness, the uh, hot seat dandy is <laughs> yeah. kind of uh, uh, Connie's catchphrase. Yeah. And that's that's very very similar to like the the Jar Jar Binks speak the way that Gungans talk. Yeah. Um. And uh, and I I just I found that really interesting because it puts that character in a whole new context for mm-hmm. me. Okay. And and it makes this it makes this more interesting to read because it's uh, it's not just about reading the story, but you're also getting that historical yeah. aspect to it and really understanding. Um, what the world was like back then because I think we can talk about how racist people were back in the 1930s but when you're reading this book it's very difficult it, it's a it's an intellectual exercise to put aside the the um, sort of the 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 speech patterns that they're using yeah and the uh, the 
almost uh, inaccurate way that they're replacing oh, R's with it's L's. Completely like, it's completely inaccurate comical. and in, and uh, inconsistent. Yeah. Um, but you know, I would. I'm guessing. Um, and I don't know this. This is just speculation. So mm-hmm. people can't get mad at us. Um, I, I don't know if Milton Kniff is even was even at, in China at any point. Yeah. Um, who knows how much he really actually knows about the culture? Yeah. Um, especially in the 30s, he didn't travel yeah. across across seas all that much. Um, so he's probably getting a lot of his information from newsreels or whatever he, he mm-hmm. sees and that kind of thing. And so it's a lot of it's probably made up, which is why the the speech patterns are they're just ridiculous. It, they're yeah. almost actually uh, in a lot of places more akin to what you would expect a a, a stereotypical. I'm not saying an actual uh, a First Nations or Native American person, but what you know, sort of like the Tonto speech right yeah um yeah. even to the point where terry uses some terminology that is is actually more in keeping with a with referring to native americans right like wampum and stuff like yeah, that. stuff yeah, that's not mm-hmm. that's not chinese in nature like that's not not something that we would racially stereotype with with that group um and it shows it really shows I, I don't know if it's a if it's a, a malicious racism as much as it's just straight up ignorance, right? Like, it's, and that's it's, it, and it's a and product. Of this the time. unfortunately, it was this was commonplace. It was yeah. normal. Um, no one's he wasn't doing any of that to be malicious. Yeah, and you can really see because Connie's character is quite important. Yeah, he he plays a, um, he plays a good role there. They they care for him. Pat mm-hmm. and Terry treat him with respect. Yeah. Um, even though he's, they still refer to him as servant, but they're, they they save his butt a couple times, and in, yeah. and also Connie saves saves their butts. Yeah. Um, he comes up with great plans to get them out of danger. Yeah. So he, while he has the funny speech and he's a comical character, um, he he's not. Um, Milton Kniff is not being malicious by creating yeah. this stereotype, this yeah. racist caricature, because in that day. It wasn't really a racist caricature. It was just that's no the it, way they it, it were portrayed. It goes right <laughs> along with uh, with uh, like breakfast at Tiffany's is though is sort of the the if you want to talk about Asian American stereotypes, right? right? That's the one that everybody goes to the the squinty eyes, the big yeah. big buck teeth, and all that stuff. You like know, it, which, it, it's it's yeah. very. I, we know now today that these are very harmful stereotypes, but at the time that in America that was just the way that you that you pictured chinese people and it was mm-hmm. it they, they, it was they were the other they were it was foreign it was uh, exotic is probably the best word to use cuz yeah. cuz uh, that's kind of how uh, it's referred to a lot of the time in that in that time period so um, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting thing to go back today and read it, especially. I mean, we live in Vancouver. We live in a very, uh, a, a, there's a, it's not melting pot. Whenever I use melting pot, Amanda gets mad at me. Amanda is my <laughs> co-host on Quiver. Um, oh, I can't remember the term that she uses, but it's not melting pot. But we have a we have a very diverse mix in a city like Vancouver that yep. that maybe some other places in North America don't aren't exposed to. So um, I think that 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 diversity definitely breeds uh more tolerance and it definitely means that that 
uh, we can be more educated about other cultures. <laughs> yeah. Because you have friends that are all sorts of different ethnicities. So so reading something like this, um, it's it, it it can be difficult. It can be really difficult to uh, to to put aside that part of it and just enjoy the stories, yeah. right? Because in in some instances these stereotypes do influence the story a little bit. But I would say, from what I read, um, that's really not the the important part. What the important part is sort of the adventure, right? And they, they could be they could be there, they could be in India, they could be in Africa. It really doesn't matter where they are. They're going from one silly escapade to the next, right? right? Yeah. Um, my one thing is that the portion that I read takes a little while. Uh, and, and as a weekly reader, I probably would have gotten a little bit frustrated. There's a whole stretch there where they're, they're, uh, they've been captured by the dragon lady the second time. Yeah. And they're her prisoners. And it's just sort of like uh, uh, it's one gag this week and it's, it's another gag the next week. And it goes on for about three or four. Right. Uh, he has those strips. little spells where yeah. he sticks in the com- comedic re- uh, relief for maybe... Yeah three weeks or so yeah yeah so i, I was kind of like can we get the story moving again? right um where it, it gets a little bit rough but and i wonder i i don't know much about the creative process behind this but i do know that for for dailies you needed to have them to the newspaper um at the very minimum a um i think two weeks in advance mm. um but usually more um and Ch- charles schultz Peanuts guy always said he had um, a full year's worth um, in uh, ready to go to the to the publisher. Um, that would be nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, right, exactly. Um, but um, and there, then, were, there was at the time of recording, I did not do a comic for my web comic yeah. this week, and I feel kind of bad about it. But now that you've said that, about yeah, shame on you. Schultz, I feel terrible. Well, that was his life passion and full time job. Yeah, so. Yeah different story but but Sunday panels uh, the Sunday strips had to be there um, I think it was something like two months before they went to print I think okay. it had to do with color setups and all yeah, that kind of yeah. stuff right and um, so so writing so trying to write and deliver the, the daily story which were, yeah. were going on in a completely different story while also doing the Sundays at the same time probably takes a good deal of planning and maybe he you know, he put more focus on the dailies, and that's why the the, the story doesn't quite go the way you want it to. Mm. Um, so once he gets into the once the dailies and Sundays combine, the flow is way different because those okay. comedic moments can happen in five dailies, so one week, okay. and then you're done with it, and then you're moving on with the stories. And the the Sundays um, are usually used for. A little bit of recap from what happened in, in the past week in case they haven't been reading the Sundays and yeah. um, don't usually carry the story forward. It's usually all the dailies that, that carry it forward. So okay. moving moving forward, um, it's it's really great great stuff. And I also I brought um, with me volume six, so you could see a little bit of what okay. he, what it looks like um, going forward his artwork changes quite a bit and, and you can see his quintessential style like his, his faces and stuff they he definitely has a more distinct look to him um it's not the same like he, oh yeah his early stuff is a little bit more generic pulpy um but he he really changes and he, he his faces are defined and um 
especially with his eyes and his eyebrows and mouth and stuff like that and even his work he plays a lot more with shadows um hmm. his color his color choices are different um you and you can see a lot i see a lot of jack kirby yeah in this you can see that jack kirby drew a lot of influence from from this guy's work and um alex toth as well uh, especially like johnny quest the relationship between Johnny and oh, Race yeah, Bannon yeah, uh, and yeah. the type of adventures they had. And Haji. He, yeah, and Haji, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, there, there's a lot of uh, Terry and the Pirates influence in Johnny yeah. Quest. Yeah. Um, and then there's another, and, and Tintin was, is another yeah. one, and like he, I'm sure that... Um, I was going to say, because like, I don't have the context for that. I never... This might shock people. I've never read Tintin. Hmm. I've never read any of it. Um, and and I've, I haven't seen the movie either. Cause it's just, it, I haven't seen the movie either. It never... There's something weird about it that it never interested me. Yeah. Like, it just, it's sort of even to the point where, like, I'm almost put off by it. Oh, really? I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just the art style. Well, maybe I'll have to force you into reading an episode or an issue or two because they, it's great stuff. Great. Mm -hmm. And it's, there's a lot of Terry and the the Pirates influence there. Um, You have a young, a young boy hero. Um, You don't have that older, well, I guess you kind of do. It's a different relationship between him and the older guy in, in that. But Tintin goes on these these great adventures where yeah. he does a lot of the same kind of stuff in here um and terry in the last years of terry and the pirates once the united states joined world war ii the focus of the strip changed okay and terry enlisted and he became an, an air pilot uh in the air force and um pat joined the marines and so pat kind of left the story okay and terry who's now older yeah um took the the focus and he got a a, a bunch of new supporting cast connie's gone um but he's still still in china kind Mm. of fighting um fighting the japanese which they never say the japanese in the strip they always just call them the invaders okay um from from asia so it's an interesting story it develops in a really really neat way especially when you're reading it with the historical context in mind yeah cool yeah um and even another influence is, is is lost i think lost draws a lot of those same sort of dynamics oh yeah um and i'm sure that it's not directly from tearing the pirates because mm-hmm. it's so far removed yes yeah. but because terry laid the groundwork for yeah. for that kind of storytelling and that those kind of archetypes um it just kind of goes down the line yeah you know in, yeah well it's the, it's the same way that that uh <laughs> when the John Carter movie came out a couple of years ago, everybody got like the a lot of the uh, the the less educated reviews referred to it as a Star Wars and Avatar mashup. Oh no! <laughs> that it was derivative of those works. Oh boy! Um, and then you know when you fig- find out that actually. Uh, uh, a princess of mars is from 1912 and it's the first science fiction fantasy and it's actually it is the story that spawned things like flash gordon buck rogers and then eventually star wars and then eventually tron and then eventually like superman is based off of that character so when we see a character who's derivative of superman we're actually seeing as a character that's derivative of john carter we just don't know that so calling john carter derivative is calling it derivative of itself yeah so i could see very much if a terry and the pirates movie were to be done today people would be like what is this Indiana Jones yeah, right. Tintin wannabe junk? And yeah. it's like, let me educate yeah, you, yeah, right? Yeah. 
Um, I, that's all. That's all in marketing. Yeah. If you market it that way, people can understand it. But um, Xenozoic is another one. Yeah. That I think that draws a lot oh, from. Oh, for Terry sure. Well, and, and that's why that's why I think you you, you picked this one. Right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, actually, that's true. Was was to to sort of we did because Xenozoic, I said if you like that, the modern, then you'll like this. Yeah. Yeah, and like I agree, I absolutely agree with that. It, you can see a lot of the influence, um, uh, especially in the pacing of the story in Xenozoic. It's very similar to the pacing of the story in Terry and the Pirates. If you mm. sort of, if you can lift that those comical interludes yeah. out of there, um, the the stories flow and and read in a very similar way. Like I said before about other stuff like it more refined yeah i think xenozoic definitely builds upon that foundation does it yeah learns from the mistakes of uh exactly. of the beginning and yeah, yeah refines it. um but yeah i mean it's it's uh i i think i think anybody who's a real comics fan uh they, they sort of owe it to themselves to go back and look at stuff like this yeah but it's always nice when you're doing that where you can find things to latch on to so that you can actually enjoy what you're doing. It's right. not just study. It's not just homework, right? Yeah. It's uh, it, there's there's also something um, fun, and there's there's some joy that you can find in that. So if you are an Indiana Jones fan, if you do like Jar Jar Binks, which there are people like us, out even there, if you don't like Jar Jar sure, Binks, this yeah. is a good thing to read so yeah. that you maybe can understand his character a little yeah, bit better. Yeah, um, I I I think it's definitely worth going back and. Yeah. And checking these out, and they've been collected in such a great way, so uh, it's all it's all kind of right there for you to uh, to digest and, yeah. and get through. So these volumes are pricey. I mean, they go for fifty bucks a pop, mm. and uh, I I got you this copy out of the library. Yeah. So it can be found in in libraries, and if yeah. if it's not, go to your li- local library and request it because yeah. you know what libraries will will take your request and will get what what you want what you request. They, that's something that they do. So if you want to read Terry and the Pirates, tell your library to bring it in and they'll get it for you. Yeah, cool. Cool, well, let's jump into our last book, our reader poll. Uh, do you remember the name of the reader that chose um, this? Yeah, this is Alan Lee. He okay. said that um, he he picked up Winter Soldier and uh, and wanted us to, to read it as well. He's going to read it. And he uh, we never got an email from him saying that he finished yeah. reading it so i don't um, know but uh we're reading this because alan wants us to read it yeah i cool well it's kind of perfect timing because winter soldier as again as of this recording comes out on, on tuesday DVD on blu-ray on tuesday so yeah i uh, so i if, if you've seen the movie already read the comic and then watch the movie again that's yeah. my plan i uh, and i i i i enjoyed it um I had actually started reading this uh, probably probably two years ago, um, maybe even longer than that, maybe three years ago, because um, it is actually uh, it's a more recent story, but it's also uh, uh, you know sort of all things told, it's it's kind of older. It's it's pre Civil War. So this which is, is um, which is uh, one of the big status quo changes that happened in the Marvel universe. So. Yeah, it's two thousand and five, yeah. I think, right and. What volume is this of Captain America? I think it was volume three, oh, I, something I like that. Like re, Captain America gets has been relaunched yeah. a, a bunch of different times yeah. in the last ten years or so. So this is, I think, volume three or volume four, and it collects Captain America one through nine. 
Yeah, it's and right then, here on the back. And then issues 11 and 14. And that one yeah. issue that's missing in there is a House of M issue. Yeah. So um, that gives you that the That tells you how context. long ago that was. Because yeah. House of M feels like it was forever. Ago. Yeah. And so um, this is um, after Avengers Disassembled. Yeah. So Captain America is not part of the Avengers right now because they don't exist. He's working with S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, with Nick Fury going on sort of covert missions and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, and then he meets uh, an adversary who is very, who seems very familiar to everyone except for Cap. He's in denial on that one, um, and I'm sure, you know, turn your turn turn the podcast off right now if you don't want the big spoil. But it says so right on the back cover. So yeah. it's, it turns out to be Bucky Barnes, who we all believed died in World War II way way back. And would never come back because why would you bring back Bucky? Right. right? Like yeah. uh, that kind of this this is one of the comics that sort of set this trend uh, in in the last ten years of uh, taking the continuity of a character which has existed for decades and uh, and trying to actually reconcile that continuity. <laughs> um, Jeff Johns did it with with Green Lantern Rebirth. Uh, and uh, tons of different uh, writers have tried to do this with different characters over the last 10 years. Uh, Kevin Smith's Green Arrow. Yeah, Kevin Smith's Green Arrow did it. Um, but this one, I, th- I think, I, I mean, somebody might be able to correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that this might be one of the first ones that really did it and did it to it's pretty good effect. Uh, this, this book is one of the ones that really sets the tone for who Cap has become in the last 10 years. Um, and and it's very... I mean, the, the title is the same title as, as the movie, so obviously it's very influential on the movie. But um, Not influential enough, I think. We, we, can think get so? in, we can get into that a little bit sure. later. I'll, we'll talk about the um, comparison. But the, the idea that, that Cap works for S.H.I.E.L.D., which I, I, not really a thing from back in the day. Captain America was he was a superhero. He worked for the military, right? Like yeah. he was. But I see that as um, influence from the Ultimates, sure. because the Ultimates yeah. was created by Shield. Yeah. In that one, and so Nick Fury worked with them a lot, and I think that you got a lot of. There was a lot of influence because that title was so popular, and yeah. for good reason. It was excellent. I liked it a lot at the yeah. beginning. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, but yeah, I, it's a. It, the story it kind of this one meanders a little bit for me it, it it takes a while to really get to the point but it's supposed to be slow it's supposed to be a, an espionage thriller um for my money the movie takes a lot of what's in this and and sort of boils it down to its components and uh and fits it into two hours but um, it doesn't it it doesn't do that though it it takes it takes a completely different story, the story of Hydra. Yes. Um, and shoehorns the Winter Soldier character in there. Yeah. To the point where if that. they removed Winter Soldier from the movie, yeah. it wouldn't make a difference. <laughs> he <laughs> has true. no purpose in that it's movie true. at all. The movie yeah. should have been called Hail Hydra or whatever, I don't know. Yeah. Um it it if if they had played a little bit more with um actually making Winter Soldier uh, a character in the movie that you know, uh, I don't know that that Captain America wanted to find. Yeah, I don't know. It, it would have probably uh, I, they could have used his character a lot better. Um, I would have. What I would have loved to see in Captain America um, from this book is the flashbacks 
yeah. from Army Life. Yeah. That and that would have tied the first Captain America movie into this one a little bit better. Yeah. Um, because those two are so drastically different um, because they're set in different times. Yeah. Well, um, you know, the the first... I mean, it's funny. We're talking about Terry and the Pirates. The first uh, Captain America movie, the, the first Avenger is actually uh it's it's an adventure movie and it's very much in the vein of indiana jones yeah it's directed by joe johnston which for those who don't know i mean he was the rocketeer uh yeah and he he worked on indiana jones he worked on star wars right he was the um trying to remember he was an art director on uh sort of production designer on star wars in different capacities throughout the three movies but i think he was second unit director on indiana jones um, but you see it. You see it in the first cap. You, yep. you see it uh, that from the moment that the movie starts uh, with with uh, uh, Red Skull when he shows up in his in his car. That car is very Indiana Jones. Oh yeah, for sure. And the 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 lights piercing through the fog and everything like that's those are very Steven Spielberg shots yeah. uh, and ideas. Um, and uh, and so that first movie is definitely that tone, um, and because it takes place in the 1940s during World War II, mm-hmm. that's it's obvious why. Yeah, for sure. Right? But uh, the the new Winter Soldier is a very different kind of movie. It's almost Winter Soldier is almost um, a throwback to the 70s. So sort of bringing the character forward, but not all the way forward into the future. There are. Obviously, it's it is a modern story, yeah. but um, it, it to me it really plays as like a seventies espionage movie that just happens to have superheroes in right. it, right? Um, yeah. Not a particularly good seventies espionage movie. <laughs> like if you're really into that style, into that genre, I think you would watch Winter Soldier and be like, "This is a really like weak facsimile of that." But um, when you lay that over a, a superhero movie. Uh, I think people get excited because right. they expect a certain thing from a superhero movie, right? Well, and this that and that one in particular changed kind of the face of what Marvel yeah. movies are going to look like going yeah. forward. Yeah, um, yeah, I would have, but I still would have liked to see the the flashbacks that you see here yes. to to know a little bit more about the relationship between Bucky and Cap. Yeah, because that's something in the movie yeah Bucky and Cap team up but you see them together for such a brief moment and then Bucky's gone that you don't get that relationship really yeah. at all and so when he when Winter Soldier comes back in the second movie who cares hmm. kind of right yeah doesn't really matter but this one because we have about maybe seven or eight issues before Captain America and Winter Soldier even meet kind of face to face yeah you and they load it with backstory and and little scenes and um, and stories from from back in World War Two to show to strengthen that relationship and that bond to really show how much they care for each other and how much they yeah. support each other and need each other. Um, that makes when they do meet um, in more dramatic, and that's what yeah. the movie really really missed out on. Yeah, yeah, I I, I agree with that. Um... I think I think you have different contexts, right? Uh, with this one, uh, in the comics, you can kind of pull from wherever you want, right? So uh, we have uh, aim at certain points in this, yeah. Um, and we've got sorry, the Red Skull is in it, so there, that's a kind of a Hydra connection. Although we never actually Hydra is never anywhere in this, um, 
But I think I think the difference being that with the movie, first of all, we now know AIM is is Tony's enemies, right? right. Like yeah. AIM AIM belongs to Iron Man. Whether or not that's true in the comics or not, I mean AIM both AIM and Hydra are really their Avengers enemies, right? They're yeah. they're kind of, that's where they come from, um, for the most part. But but they've kind of they've they've segmented these organizations and said like, well, AIM is part of Tony Stark's storyline, uh, and Hydra is closely connected to to Cap, to and, Cap yeah. and Shield. So we're going to we're going to tie this into, and I think you have to, to take into account the TV show for better or yeah, worse, of course. Um, and and their future plans for whatever they're going to do next, yeah. right? So. I I don't think that we're ever going to see Hydra fight the Avengers. I don't think we're ever going to see Hydra in that capacity because Hydra uh, or the Avengers like they've already got their own their their own plots for the next. They're bigger two than Hydra, movies, right? yeah. yeah. So, um, so he belongs to Cap. Yeah. So I think in order for them to, they wanted to work the Winter Soldier character into it. So I I, I agree with you. I think it is a little bit tacked on. Um, it is a little bit. It is. I that is the weakest part of that movie. Is like, it, but it has like this right there in the title. <laughs> yeah, because um, it's really not like you said. You could you could replace um, Crossbones is in the movie, but if you replaced Winter Soldier with Crossbones, Crossbones, not the character who will eventually become Crossbones, right. um, the you, the movie wouldn't have been any different. No, you just wouldn't. would have yeah. been elevating Crossbones to a higher. Right. caliber of supervillain, right? Yeah. Um, he was a, a minor annoyance in this one so that Falcon had somebody to fight at the end of yeah, the movie. Yeah, right. But, uh, but in the comics, I mean, in this comic, in this he's, comic, he's, a, is yeah, big. Yeah. He, he's much more uh, formidable. So, And so I can see the seeds yeah. being planted. Like, they'll take a lot of elements from this graphic novel, I'm yeah. sure, and play it out in Captain America 3. I think so. Yeah. So, uh, and that's what I'm hoping for. Yeah. The title of Captain America Three should be Captain America Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, because I really think that's where they're going to play out. Yeah. All of but I think I think also you can't tell a lot of this story, um, because it it does cross into territories that belong to other franchises or other other studios. Um, one of the coolest things about this, like I said, it, it tries to reconcile the past of the character, yeah. the the continuity from the 1940s, uh, and and you've got it's right on the back cover. You have the Human Torch and Namor, yeah. and uh, not the human, two. not the Human Torch that you think. Uh, two Human Torches, I think, at one point. Yeah, um, and they're not they're not the ones that you think. Neither of them are Johnny Storm. Um, they're uh, one of them's a robot. Yeah, and I don't know the backstory of the other one. But they're they but the were, robots. The one we see in this comic, yeah, the, the android, yeah. And the funny thing, um, you get the you, in the World's Fair in the first Captain America yes. movie that Johnny Storm, or I mean not Johnny Storm, this human that human torch is uh, kind of on display in yeah, one of the yeah. glass cabinets. It's sort of there. like an, an offhanded <laughs> yeah. uh, reference. Um, yeah, but I, I, there's there's a but lot they could of skip, stuff they could skip that. Yeah, they don't oh, have they to put in that. Do something and, different. Um, the Iron Man cameo in this comic yeah. is great. Yeah, he comes in, does one battle, and says, um, "I really want to help, but for the sake of my company, I can't yeah. get involved." Yeah. I would have loved to see that in the movie too. Yeah, um, but I'm sure for budgetary reasons yeah. there's no way that that can happen but um, that would have been a great use of a little cameo there well my biggest problem with with Winter Soldier uh, is that 
all of the work that they go to at the end of the movie to do everything to to switch out the super complicated story of like let's get in there and switch out these yeah. these chips and whatever um so that we can have a big action sequence really all they had to do was call tony and he could have been like oh yeah i can just like zip, i zip, zip. <laughs> I, I i don't even have to leave stark tower in order yeah, to right. do what you need to do you could probably just hack into their computer yeah like i can fix from, this yeah. from here but they yeah. never call them like they, it's it never even passes anybody's lips like i really I, it, to me if you're going to have these characters have a shared world you have to you have to acknowledge it every now and then you yeah. have to say something like 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 you had to say oh like couldn't like black widow could say like couldn't tony just deal with this you know in 5 seconds um and and to have either nick fury say Look, we don't want to involve him in this. This yeah. is like he's, or, he's safe out of it. Or we can't find him right now because Iron Man three was happening at the same yeah. time, or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Or uh, well, we can't say that because that's a Christmas movie, and this didn't happen at Christmas. Oh yeah, time. I guess so. Uh, yeah. Iron Man three takes place in a in a very specific time and place. Yeah, yeah. But I, uh, but I mean, it, Cap could very easily go. No, I don't want him to have anything to do with this. Right. Like even if it's just a character choice of like. Mm-hmm. As much as as much as I I have come to trust Tony, uh, this is bigger than him, right? Yeah. Like he's not the kind of person that we can bring in on this, right? Yeah. But that's so the nice thing about elements that that they yeah. could have done. But the comics don't have to. They worry don't about have that. to worry about that. They they don't have to pay yeah. to have Iron Man in this book. Yeah. So he can show up for one scene, punch a bunch of guys, and save the day. Be Iron Man. Yeah. Um, but I mean, I think one of the best things for the Marvel Cinematic Universe that we get as a result of this is Falcon. Because Falcon in the movie, well, I, for me, is the is the biggest takeaway. Like, yeah, he, he's, he's awesome. He's my favorite character yeah. from that movie. He, they did a really great job. Of that. Um, and uh, <laughs> and man, he's good in this comic, too. Yeah, like, it, it, they, they, they pulled a lot out of his... Because he's only in, like, the last two issues. Um, but they really pulled a lot. And again, like I said, it's, it's pulling together Cap's decades long continuity yeah. uh, and making it relevant today and, and putting it all into one story um, making a character like Bucky Barnes from the 1940s era comics into a real character today that that's no small feat Ned Brubaker does a great job of justifying the character's existence yeah. Cap can't do certain things he won't do certain things That he's Captain America right he, yeah. he's not going to go in and kill people but that's what Bucky was there for, and he was all he, he's a he's a teenager, so everybody kind of looks at him like this innocent, you know. Um, uh, as they they reference in it, sort of the uh, his true purpose in the in the real world, the reason why they introduced him in the comics, which was to be a counter to the Hitler Youth, to give kids in in America yeah. something to look at and go, that's what I aspire to. Like look at look at what's happening in Germany and look what we can be right, mm-hmm. um, and they they point that out in the comic like in the world of of the characters uh but then at the same time that's not what he's there for that's not his real purpose his real purpose is what works right he's the he's the black ops guy on the team yeah um even, as much as namor isn't too worried about snapping necks and uh, <laughs> yeah. getting his hands dirty um they they, they really give uh bucky a, an identity uh, as 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 the kid um, that lends itself to Winter Soldier, who like this character became an instant classic character. Yeah, and, sure and I I think that that 
that says a lot about this book that that you can take what a lot of people would probably think of as a silly idea which is like let's bring bucky back but he's this time he's a he's a brainwashed soviet <laughs> super soldier well and right? the, the fun of the character is now he has to discover his history yeah um that's gonna oh that's something from my house oh. um so the dc counterpart to this character yeah i see is nightwing okay because you have the same the same thing um robin of the 1940s or whatever the plucky yeah. kid sidekick very similar to bucky <clears throat> goes through like uh, he doesn't die um he evolves yeah but he evolves into a character. He's evolved into a hot mess now, but... Well, we, this, we don't have we to talk about it. Go listen to our last episode. Yeah. Um, but We'll know even further, because now he's just a Grayson. He's just a, a secret agent with a gun. Oh, yeah, that's right. So, okay, they, so they've completely ruined his uh, character. But let's we just don't talk about Nightwing, yeah. because when, when, when Dick Grayson declares he doesn't want to be Robin anymore, <laughs> it, he changes his character, and all of a sudden um, yeah. he goes in a completely different direction different focus and that's um i can see a lot of similarities there too kind of reconciling that yeah. that character's history so now dick grayson's a more for our uh dick grayson for our era that kind of thing yeah i mean this was back in the 80s so <laughs> now it's not quite the case anymore yeah. but um that's kind of a parallel i see there um i don't know uh note about the art uh st- i like Kind of like when we were talking about escapists in the first episode, yeah. how they switch artists, um, yeah. but they have artists doing specific things for specific reasons. So they have Steve Epting doing the uh, the normal story, the main story with Cap in present day. Then all of the flashback sequences are by Michael Lark, um, who has a similar style, um, a little bit more uh, gritty. Um, and I like that use because mm-hmm. one... It uh, differentiates the flashbacks from the main story. You can get a little bit of a different feel. Also, it keeps the book on time because now you have two artists working on <laughs> yeah. a book instead of one. Um, and I remember back in the 90s, you'd be reading a book, a, a single issue, and then you get to the last two pages, and it's a completely different artist. One of their C-list stringers that they yeah. pull in, like, quick, our A-list guy's not meeting his deadline. So-and-so, come and do these last two pages. Um, you don't have to worry about that when you build your story around uh, around flashbacks so yeah uh, the, uh, it was a smart way of doing it and steve epting is a is one of those guys he's been around for a long time and he's been doing cap for a long time because mm-hmm. he worked on the avengers for quite a few years in the, ni- in the 90s and he's one of those artists who who was so distinctly 90s like the 90s had had a very jim lee had the jim lee sort of um that was one, yeah. It that was one end of the nineties, okay. um, the kind of the hyper detail or whatever. And then there was yeah. another end of the nineties that I would put maybe like Ron Lim um, in okay. that that category. And, and Steve Epting was 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 there, um, but seeing, and I haven't followed his career really at mm-hmm. all. Um, but seeing him now, he's really successfully transformed his style to be contemporary and yeah. to compete with what's going on now a lot of i think a lot of comic book artists from the 90s can't do that mm-hmm. um just because it's their style but he's really come along 
uh, and and moved with the time. Yeah, and he's he's great in this book, and I think a lot of it has to do with the coloring. Um, he he does his own inks, I believe, in this, and he plays a lot with shadows. I really like his yeah. shadow work. Yeah, it's a very dark book. Like yeah. usually, it's a very very dark book. Because uh, and great because you're dealing with dark concepts. Yep. And the coloring is just fantastic in it. I really like the mood that yeah. it gives, especially with the flashbacks being black and white or monochrome kind of colors, um, and then the red skull looks really cool too. So mm-hmm. there's yeah, there's a lot yeah. going for it. Yeah. All in all, um, I'm glad I read it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think that it's a good it's a good um, thing to read if you're into the the movies. If you've enjoyed the movies, I think it's cool to go and, and read some of the stories that that influence the uh, the the storylines that you see in the films. Yeah, um, and it's great because you won't be reading the same story. I think that's probably one of the best things. I yep. think that's the the best thing that Marvel has done with the movies is that they've told the same stories without telling the same stories. Yeah. So yeah. they they stick very closely to their to their uh, mythology and to their to their uh, legacy without just sort of regurgitating what we've already read and or seen. So extremists in the in Iron Man three was yeah. very different from extremists in the comics. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and this Winter Soldier is very different from the movie, but you can read those books and then watch the movies and see like, oh, that's cool. That's where they pulled that from. Oh, yeah. that's cool. That's where that's inspired. That's why Falcon shows up in this movie. That's why this character is in that right. Um, and the other thing is that when you're reading these books, you're probably also getting sneak peeks, like you said. Cap three should probably have been titled Winter Soldier, yeah, because it will be focused on. I think if anything, like Cap three, it's going to be split between those two characters, with Bucky going off finding, you know, his past, yeah, and and Cap looking for him, right? Yeah. So, um, at least that's what they've set up by the end of of Winter Soldier. So, um, they, there's a lot of that content that I think that will have already read in this book, yeah, right. They're, those flashbacks might be coming. So. And I'd love to see, because the Tesseract already exists in the Marvel yeah. Universe, I'd love to see the Red Skull come to um, our time. Yeah. In kind of a similar yeah. way that, that it happened in your... Yeah. Well, he, he's got to be somewhere. So. Yeah. The Tesseract is... The, I think the Tesseract is the is the space gem, right? It's the... It's different. Of the Infinity Gems. It's different. I know that the, the movies, Cosmic yeah. Cube in the comics is a Cosmic Cube. It's its own thing. Yeah. But the Tesseract has become... It, it is the Cosmic Cube, but it's also become one of the Infinity Stones. Right. It, yes, it's, it's opens up portals, so I guess yeah. it would be the yeah. space yeah. gem. So, um, at the end of the first cat... Spoilers. <laughs> if you're already listening this far, you've gotten tons of spoilers, but... I, when he's holding it in his hand, it shoots that beam up into the sky, and then he disappears. It yeah. looks like he disintegrates or whatever. Oh, but, but he's somewhere. Yeah, he's. Uh, I. I think it's. I. He's probably with Thanos. Look, look. We were all really surprised when you get all the way through Winter Soldier, and Robert Redford never at any point grabs the side of his face and yeah. pulls his face off. And yeah, we find out that he's the Red Skull. I was, um, I was, yeah, I was thinking that was gonna. Happen. Yeah, everybody thought it was gonna happen. I'm glad it didn't, yeah. because it means that now when we go into whatever the next movie is, hopefully they can get us in the same way that they got us in Iron Man Three, where they. That we go in thinking like, oh, we know what's going on here. Yeah. We know what the story is, and then they go, no, the Mandarin's not really the Mandarin, you guys. <laughs> Spoilers for Iron Man three, I guess. Um, 
Look, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't seen these movies, you need to reassess your priorities. Yeah. But, <laughs> uh, cool. I think that does it for... I think so, too. ...for our, our picks for this month. If you haven't read them, all three of them are worth picking up. Yeah, yeah. I think we, we, had, a, we had a good selection. Um, give yourself lots and lots of time for Terry and the Pirates, though. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's a lot to read there. I think you have but, the right... Doing three or four pages, that's... Yeah. Uh, with Sundays, that's a month. Do yeah, uh, a yeah. month at a time. You pace that's, yourself, right? And that uh, just extends the the enjoyment over yeah. a long period. Yeah, it's a book that I think is definitely worth the investment of picking up a volume. Like yeah. not like you can pick it up from the library, but uh, it, if you buy it, if it, if you know it's the sort of thing that you're going to enjoy, and you buy it, it's a good investment because even if it is fifty dollars, there's yeah. a lot of reading. Well, and it's so nice. I mean, they did a lot yeah. of they put a lot of attention into it. The artwork is great. The reproductions are really nice. There's a great each volume has an, a fantastic essay at the beginning that yeah. kind of gives the history. Um, there's a, a silk bookmark or a cloth bookmark. I mean, sewn into it. Yeah. Um, so and full dis- dis- uh, full disclosure this is the company that put out my first book about Chuck Jones called okay. Chuck Jones the dream that never was which you can get on Amazon yeah right? you can totally get it on Amazon <laughs> put up by the same company IDW and uh, Library of American Comics and that book has the same sort of care and attention put into it which is why I'm so happy that they decided to do it yeah cool okay well let's uh let's let's jump into our polls for next month what uh, what do you got what's yours well mine is called pyongyang and that is a city in north korea this is um by a canadian cartoonist Guy Delisle, and he took a trip um he works for an animation studio i'm not sure which one but he was assigned to go to their overseas department which is in north korea i didn't even know that you could have uh, that an American company could have a, a, a company in in North Korea but anyway he goes there to kind of oversee the animation department there mm-hmm. and so this is basically a travelogue he has um, he has drawn and illustrated and written his observations of North Korean culture okay over the period of time that he was there and you don't often get a look a good look <laughs> at the inside of North Korea but this is a great look inside there. Um, he has a, a very cartoony style. It's funny at times. It's ridiculous at times. Mm. It's kind of depressing at times. Um, but uh, it's fascinating because no one really knows anything about what goes on in North Korea. So cool. it, it's really it's really neat. Yep. Cool. Well, uh, my pick <laughs> could not get farther away from that. I literally, literally. and figuratively. <laughs> Um, my pick is Volume One of Guardians of the Galaxy: Cosmic Avengers. Uh, this is Volume One of the very recent relaunch. Uh, hey, look, if you haven't, if it, it, you have to be living under a rock to not recognize that Guardians of the Galaxy is pretty much the biggest thing right now. You know, it's kind of it's kind of sad that the Guardians of the Galaxy mm-hmm. are going to be more well known than the Fantastic Four. <laughs> <laughs> it is when you put it that way. It is, but. For good reason, because right now their movie is awesome, and the yep. Fantastic Four movie looks like it's going to be terrible. Oh yeah! But I uh, to to give us like we were talking about Winter Soldier to give us uh, that different context and to see sort of what what's the comic book counterpart to the uh, to the film. Now these are 
basically concurrent. I mean, they, these comics were written alongside the movie, more or less. So, so these, I think the one that we should have read was um, to get more context is the one from I don't know what is it, two thousand and eight or so. Yeah, I think yeah. When they really when they first re relaunched with, with this them. with this cast of characters. Yeah, here. around Civil War. But so this is recent. This is recent. So this is this is uh, the the most recent uh, uh, relaunch of Guardians when they just redid number one. Okay. Um, for the uh, Cosmic Avengers is the is the subtitle of it, um, and uh, the way that you'll be able to differentiate it from previous Guardian stuff is that Iron Man is part of the team in this <laughs> <Of course>. story. <laughs> so I I haven't read this yet, and I oh. and I picked it up and wanted to read it. Um, I've I've read the first issue or so. Um, but I, but I loved the movie, and I want yeah, I more. Too. And thankfully, there is more. This also for for people who've been listening since our first episode, uh, Guardians has crossed over with all new X Men. Um, so if you've been reading all new X Men sort of along with me, um, you have to start reading Guardians because at a certain point they're gonna co mingle. Okay, uh, and those those teams are gonna are going to mix. Well, maybe I'll have to catch up on all new X-Men then. Yeah. Um, so that was the other reason why I wanted to pick this up and get into it. I, so I, hopefully hopefully it's as good as the movie. I don't know if it'll be quite as good as the movie. But well, it's written by Mike, Brian Michael Bendis. It is. So it is. So it should it, count for something, right? Yeah. Well, it could go either way. But uh, <laughs> that's yeah. how I feel about Bendis. But sometimes he's one of my favorite writers. Sometimes he's one of my least. But Right. But I uh, yeah, so that's my pick, uh, and then uh, we've got our reader poll. Yeah, so our reader poll is a book called Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant, and it was suggested by Doug Ferguson. And he says in the email he sent us, "Would you guys read Del- uh, Delilah Dirk and the Turkish Lieutenant by Tony Cliff? He's a Vancouver local writer and an artist who put in years of work for this passion project, and I had a lot of fun reading this classic classic feeling adventure story." I think you guys will enjoy it also. Um, so yeah, I I got um, I took out two copies at the library, one for you and one for me. And if you want to read it, you it's all available online at DelilahDirk.com. So you don't cool. have to track down a copy. It's all it's all up there because it originally was a, re- a web comic, and then um, the publisher picked it up and now it's available in print. And uh, yeah, it's I have a feeling that. It, we're going to have a kind of a Terry and the Pirates feel mm-hmm. to to this book as well. So I'm, it's it. We've got it, we we've got a bit of a, a string going from Xenozoic yeah to this one, which I which I'm not going to complain nope, about because it's good. Uh, it's good stuff so far. So uh, I'm really excited. About it. I mean, even you were you were saying it's the same publisher as Battling Boy. Yeah. So I like that. I think that that that'll say a lot about it as well. Yep. They pick good stuff. Yeah. The publisher first, yeah. second. They do a lot of good good books. Cool. Yeah. Well, uh, that does it for this episode. Thank you guys for listening. As always, you can find us online at the Pullbox po- or sorry at pullboxpodcast.com, uh, on uh, Twitter at pullboxpodcast, and on Facebook at facebook.com slash pullboxpodcast. And send in your suggestions, your reader polls to the pullboxpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and and as well as you guys' thoughts, we didn't really get a lot of uh, feedback on the books that we read this month. Um, so hopefully for next month we can get uh, we can get some feedback from you guys. You mm-hmm. guys can read along with us. And because uh, I know you're out there, I know you're listening. 
Yes, and, 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 we can and see reading how many people are downloading. Yeah, and well, I know I know specific people who are reading and listening along yeah. with us. So, I uh, so send in your emails because because uh, this it's a it's it's a club. Yeah, we're we're just uh, we're just sort of the the mouthpieces for it. But uh, well, but and we love hearing from you guys, especially Delilah Dirk, because it's yeah. all online. Yeah. You don't really have an excuse for not being able to track down a copy. Yeah, that's true. It's all there. That's true. Cool. Uh, well, that's it. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode. Yeah, see you next month.